0: Welcome back to Faith in Your Recovery. We're glad you've joined us. Whether this is your first time or you've been with us for each of our episodes, we're just glad you're with us today. Have a guest, Monica Grayson. Monica was episode four and her voice was there in our intro. It was the single female voice that you heard. Uh, Monica, welcome. Good to have you back. Great to be back thank you uh give us a little background tell us now how long have you been clean
1: um i just celebrated seven years sober uh july or sorry june 24th
0: awesome Mm -hmm. awesome okay so go ahead let's back up i know you've got a lot of things you're going to share with us here in a little while folks we we kind of brag about being all things recovery. Well, when we get into the meat of this, Monica has a, has a skill, profession, experience. She's going to share with us a lot of things about harm reduction, about addiction, uh, some of the myths that go with all of that. But we're going to update you again. So you you're welcome to go back to episode four. It was a year ago. It was August 1st, 2022, but give us about 10, 15-minute update here, Monica. Tell us your story of old.
1: Okay, so um, I used for 25 years, and it started out with me actually dabbling and getting into, um, like, my cousin's, imp- like, what, beer bottles that they had alcohol in, stealing cigarettes, um, just whatever. You know, I, I at an early age, when I look back now, I, I can see the signs of, you know, I was headed down the wrong road.
0: What age was that that you began all that dabbling as you worded it?
1: I'm going to say 10. Okay. Yeah, 10, because at 12, it was really um, going downhill like I was okay. stealing. I was doing all kinds of stuff. But, I, uh, you know, I, I went through, like, lots of people, trauma, things that really affected me, um, that hurt me, that hurt people that I loved. And, you know, I started trying to cover that up and numb it with with drugs often the case yeah and I actually was moved from school to school I said you know that in the last podcast that there was one point where I went to three different schools in the same year you know so I was always the new kid I was always picked on I was always bullied and it was I hated it I hated it so much so during that time of my life it was it was really bad and so I just wanted to fit in I just wanted to be accepted, and I clearly wasn't going to be accepted in the cheerleading, you know, crowd or the you know smart crowd because I didn't get good grades.
0: Athletic?
1: N- no, not not at that time. Okay, um, but I found a crowd that was always off off to the side, you know, real sneaky. And they were smoking cigarettes, they were doing doing the drugs, and so that's where I I, I ended up. Found a home with yeah. them
0: because they accepted you. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yep. Yep. And we were all just kind of, I think for the most part, running from the same thing.
0: And so uh, how long of a battle was that, that you were stuck in that, in a place you didn't want to be?
1: Um, for quite a while. I feel like um, I didn't, it just got worse. So 25 years, you know what I mean? Like it only got worse. So the further I ran from the stuff that was hurting me, the worse I got in my addiction.
0: And so what was the first lights on moment for you that gave you hope and promise to move forward and to change where you were in life?
1: Um, I would have to say it wasn't the first time I got in trouble. Um, It was probably a few down the road, actually. You know, I want to say my last arrest, but it wasn't because I ended up getting hit with an old charge, uh, an old warrant that was two years old. But I was sober at that time. But the last one where I was, you know, heaviest in my addiction is when, you know, I went to jail and I, I, I was like, all right, I'm done. I know I'm going to go through these withdrawals in jail. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm tired of letting my family down. And that's when I had hope after I got past the withdrawals in jail. Then I started seeing some light.
0: I remember one of our old friends Brian Montgomery he used to always like to use the term when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yep. Is that where you were? Yeah,
1: yeah, I was. And I was I was excited to, you know, be able to sit, you know, in the day room in the jail and not be sick and could play cards. I remember playing cards sitting there and like I felt good about it. You know, I wasn't like, "Well, I got to go do this or, I got to go get high." It was a good feeling and at that point, I was like, "I'm, I'm going for this."
0: A new experience to be sober, and you mm-hmm. wanted to hold on to it yep. and grow it.
1: Yep. I was willing to do whatever it took to continue that path.
0: I'm guessing that was a piece of cake. There was no problem with that. Everything worked perfect.
1: I, I, that's yes? what I was hoping for, but it didn't work well, that it, way. It didn't no. happen. Mm-mm. huh? You're not the first one to say that. Yeah. Okay. What was
0: it like? What was the battle like?
1: Um, it was it was dark. Um. It was dark, you know. My whole addiction was dark. I remember looking out windows and looking at the sky and and thinking like, there has to be something more in life than the way I'm living it, you know. There has to be something, and just so so depressed and, and just devastated. And then you know the recovery. I've actually been chasing my recovery for the last nine years. So my first two years I was pretty pretty shaky, and but I give you know it's because I was learning how to relive, how to act, how to move, how to think, how to feel emotions.
0: You had never been an adult no. or even a, a teenager no.
1: before.
0: No. So you didn't know what it meant to live that life, yeah.
1: correct? not sober. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was, it was a lot. Yeah,
0: yeah. So what was one of the primary motivators at that time that kept moving you forward? My kids. You're a kid. Tell us about that. How many kids? What, what are their present ages?
1: I have two kids. I have a son. Uh, his name's Dylan. He's 23. Well, he's about to be 23. I have a daughter, Dixie. She just turned 13. I feel like she's going on 21, though. <laughs> always? But, yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's I wouldn't change it for the world. That's really what always kept me motivated, but the addiction always Took over, always.
0: So did you always have custody of those two children, or did you lose that custody at some time?
1: So I had, you know, I I lost count. I tried to count the other day six to seven CPS cases, um, and I lost, you know, when I went to Dayton the last time— I'd left my daughter, my four year old daughter at the time.
0: Now, when you say you went to Dayton, you and I get that. But mm-hmm. so our folks will know that was to buy drugs. Yes. It was the place yes. to go at that. The
1: city time. is what we called it. So that we was knew it the was the big mark. Mm-hmm. So, and I never, never went. I always thought it was the dumbest thing because everybody, anybody from Indiana that took the highway 49 to Dayton always got pulled over, always got busted. So, but you know, I feel like, God had a plan for me, and it was my time to be done, so I'd left my daughter with the downstairs neighbor that I didn't know barely, and she didn't know at all, and I went to Dayton, and we got arrested on the way back, and that's when I went to jail, and I I didn't see her again for five years after that.
0: She was how old when you lost her? Four. Four. Mm-hmm. So from four to nine, yep. you did not see her.
1: No, and that was the hardest, hardest battle that I ever had to go through because my kids are They they mean everything to me. And not having them and then having to deal with that sober, man, it was tough. That was the hardest thing I've ever done.
0: So do you now have custody of Dixie?
1: Yes. how long have you had? Yes, absolutely. Um, My cheeks hurt from smiling right now. But, yes, I've had her. We're we're about to celebrate six years that I've had her back. And I I have complete custody of her. You know, there's no other um, joint custody, which is amazing. So,
0: you know, I know you well enough, I know Dixie well enough to know that this season's very special to you guys. <laughs> this is ball season. Oh, yeah. And the two of you can often be found at the diamond. You were yes. telling me. How many leagues? What's she
1: involved with? She she really grew this year. Like, I mean, she's been in it since T-ball, but this year I really seen a change in her. Like, she played every position. She had three ball leagues this summer. Um That she played with, you know, two, two, there was a senior league, which is 18, all the way up to 18. So she's 13 playing with 18 year olds. And then she had a junior league um, in a smaller town. And then she played for who we normally play for, for a junior league. So she had three leagues this year and she got championships for one of them.
0: So Dixie's doing quite well, and so's mom.
1: Yes, and she actually hit a home run over the fence this year. Who I was read? so excited.
0: <laughs> and Dylan, tell us where he's at in life and what's going on with him.
1: Mm-hmm. Dylan, he's you know he's 23. He's going through you know life and trying to deal with life. But he went through a little bit of I'd say about a year of his substance use. You know where he um, was dabbling in meth and, and fentanyl and that was a hard time for me too. That was the first time that, um, the, you know, the direction was turned from me to someone else. Like it was always about me. It was always about my addiction, my recovery, and then it wasn't. So that was the first time I felt shaky in my recovery because I was so scared that I was going to find my son dead, or I was going to have a cop knocking on my door telling me that he had overdosed and died. So, you know, I, my thoughts started thinking about, I just need to have a drink so I can sleep so I can quit thinking. And so that's when my, you know, it was pretty shaky for me that at that point,
0: that would have been a scary time. You yeah. weren't used to, pardon me, the clean lifestyle. Yeah. Raising a teenager, mm-hmm. one having his own issues. Yeah. But uh, he's doing well. Yes. now and I won't say I was good because yeah. I'm not sure it Ever yeah. is all good, but he's doing well. Yeah, yeah. He, gained, he gained he
1: gained some charges, you know, during his addiction, like you know, me and and a lot of us do. Um, but he completed his um, house arrest successfully. He actually has a construction job. You know, he's certified in some things, so he's he's doing well.
0: Hooray for him! Mm-hmm. Hooray for you! Yeah. And uh, helping to turn that around. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Uh, let's jump forward Mm -hmm. if folks want to pick up on more of the details of your story go back to episode number four of faith in your recovery and you can get the whole story because the direction we're about to head a year ago you couldn't head to where we are you just didn't have the experience the Mm -hmm. knowledge uh everything that goes with that so tell the folks where you are professionally at this time in your life, and what's going on educationally, and let them hear. Yeah.
1: I I mean, I have a lot going on. I like to keep my my hands and feet in a lot of things, and education and and knowledge, you know, continuing to gain knowledge is important. Um, I've been at, I actually had an IU Health. I work at J, the outpatient behavioral office, and I just had a three-year anniversary, so I've been there for three years and I've grown and learned so many things being there. Um, I've, I have uh, my certification in peer recovery coaching. And then I also just gained a, another degree, another college degree, but it's an associate in my human services. So I've got a lot going on. I've, I'm NARCAN trained, which means I can you know train groups of individuals how to administer NARCAN.
0: We want to talk about Narcan here in just mm-hmm. a little while. But when you say you're employed at IUJ, mm-hmm. folks, that's Jay County Hospital mm-hmm. located in Portland, Indiana, should you question the, mm-hmm. the geography of all of that. So, Monica, what's, what's your understanding of addiction? Uh, how would you explain that? To somebody who just doesn't have a knowledge of it. Yeah.
1: you know I even have sometimes I have individuals that come in that need or are seeking assistance um, with a substance use disorder that don't understand their own addiction. you know so I try to explain to them as well as people that don't have a clue that you know, sure it starts out as a choice. you know I call it the disease of choice. So if you continue to do that over and over again, then it's going to take over. You know, and it's also 50 percent, 50 percent heredity and 50 percent environment. When you put those two things together, you know, it's bound for an addiction and it just becomes to where it takes over everything. Um, Normally, we would need like um, water and air and food to survive. All of that stuff is pushed down and addiction the, the drug is put in the very top of that. Like we don't care it if we drink. The priority
0: yes. of mm-hmm. your needs and it Should actually it be or yeah not, it's irrelevant.
1: Yeah, it actually changes your brain. All of it. I mean, it it changes. Addiction
0: it. changes your brain. Yes. It it attacks the thinking. Yep. Changes the thinking. Mm-hmm. We sit around and say, I don't know what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing they don't either. No. Because it has destroyed some of those mm-hmm. brain cells that yeah. help you make better choices and it has become your your controlling mm-hmm. choice. Yeah. Maybe not what you wanted, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. It's there. Uh how much does willpower play into this?
1: I mean, you can you can think about willpower like in your mind, like, I'm going to do this, I'm done after this shot, or I'm done after this, you know, this pill, but it never happens. So
0: how many times do you think you thought, this is my last one, I'm going to stop after this? Could you count the number of times? No, absolutely
1: not. I couldn't count the number of times in one day.
0: And that's probably the case for many Mm -hmm. who are in addiction. Yeah. And then it becomes a chronic brain disease Mm -hmm. that has to be fed with more of the drug. Yes? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Can it be cured? Can addiction be cured?
1: Um, no, it, it can go into remission like like other um, uh, diseases, but it has to be managed. Like I have a program that I work. Everybody's program is different. What works for me will not work for them. But you continually have to do something for your recru- your recovery.
0: So, just like diabetes or heart condition or cancer, you can manage it. Mm-hmm. You can't necessarily cure it, right. or you cannot cure the addiction. Right. Yeah. Okay, okay, thank you for that. Uh, we've already talked about the the changes in the brain. I I like what you said because I too believe it is certainly a disease that set off by a choice. Mm-hmm. And then it comes and you said it in so many words, critical for survival. You talk about water and air and those mm-hmm. elements we must have. Yeah. It's a must have yeah. for folks once they get mm-hmm. to a certain spot in their addiction.
1: Yeah. We actually go a long time without any of that stuff. Without food, you know, without water. Of course we have air, but you know, we don't we would if we could choose between drugs and air I mean we would choose the drug before the air.
0: Yeah, understandable. Okay, so you've talked about addiction, given us a description. What does recovery how would you define recovery? What does it mean?
1: So recovery is, is moving to a you know, moving forward to a better state of living and health and just everything is better from the way you were living. So, you know, i never I never ate. I never took care of myself. I never went to the doctor. I never did anything to take care of myself. So anything that helps you to be better, to feel better, to, you know, all all of that stuff, mentally, emotionally, is recovery. So anything that you were doing before that was hurting you, it doesn't have to be just substances. Anything that you were doing that was hurting you, now that you're not doing it, that's recovery.
0: So improved health, uh... Well-being and yes. quality of life yes. all fit within that. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Where where do you see our biggest issue with drugs today, categorically? What kind of drugs or how does that fit in your thinking and your experience?
1: Well, you know, for sure, um, fentanyl. You know, fentanyl is, is terrible. And I, I tell people all the time that I couldn't imagine. I wouldn't be here today if fentanyl was on the streets when I was using, like it is now. I would be dead, you know. So, fentanyl is just—it's what's taking everybody out. It's what's killing everybody.
0: So, can you define fentanyl? Tell the folks a little bit about what it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Fentanyl—it's—it's it's synthetic. It's—it's um, it's lab made in a lab. So it's pure poison, you know, it's, it's poison.
0: I've read that it's 50 to a hundred times more powerful than morphine, Yes, which is oftentimes one of the strongest drugs they'll give us for pain in yeah. the hospital or mm-hmm. late in life to help yeah. ease that, that passage or anything else. And, uh, you know, the illicit fentanyl that's used to, uh, to be put in opioids or any place else. It's become very commonplace there. You used the word in the very beginning, you dabbled. I don't think you can dabble today no. because it can easily be one and done. Yeah. Uh, if fentanyl's involved with that, and certainly if car fentanyl is, mm-hmm. which is stronger yet than fentanyl. Yeah. And so there's there's a great danger with all of that. I think it's considered fentanyl is as the, uh, you know, the number one driver behind today's overdose health crisis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: so what can we do for a friend? I just threw the word in there overdose. What can we do for a friend who's overdosed? Uh, or a stranger. I would mm-hmm. hope we'd still yeah. step up to the plate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if, you know, somebody's overdosed, you know. What are the signs
0: of overdose?
1: The signs of an overdose is, you know, they, they may be turning white or purple or blue, like their fingernails, their lips. They may be clammy to the touch. Um, they may be unresponsive. Um, they're, they're, they might be making gurgling sounds, you know, like choking and, and real raspy breathing. So if you see that, you know, it's really important to, to you know, give them Narcan. And we'll talk about that, too. But to give them Narcan regardless, you know, of yeah. what, what they think is happening.
0: Hold on to that word, folks. Narcan, or also known as naloxone. Yeah. And we will go back to that and tell you a little more of it in a moment or two. Uh, it, we're in a sad state here in our united states the statistics say you're more likely to die from an overdose than a car wreck or gun mm-hmm. that it's the number one killer of so yeah. many and that you know we've we've got to make some changes yeah. and that's it's why we are talking about it in part absolutely uh okay <laughs> Tell our folks a little bit about some of the telltale signs they might watch for in a loved one and child, little pieces of evidence that they may be using drugs of some type. Uh, What might they see laying around or just some visuals?
1: So, you know, like with me and my addiction, you know, if um, somebody was to walk into my house, you would find... You know, burnt spoons um, or spoons gone completely. Um, I remember one time my mom was complaining. She's like, where's all my, my big spoons at? And I was just like, oh, you know, because I had taken them. Um, pop cans, we would use the, the bottom of pop cans to, to fix our dope in and cook it in. So you can find halves of those, like a pop can cut in half. Um, you can find water bottles with the caps or just water setting around. Um, and then you can, if you... I know today, like with the kids and my daughter being thirteen, things have changed a lot. So there's different things now than the than it was, you know, when I was using. We're always gonna try to stay a step yes. ahead of being caught. Yep. And right? there's they're sneaky. So there there's some things happening where you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they had that head there or so.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the signs that we might see by looking at someone that there's possibility they're on something? Uh, If I look you in the face or see you, Mm -hmm. what?
1: Yeah. Well, it depends on, you know, the substance. But, you know, we're talking about fentanyl and opioids. If you look them in the face and you look at their pupils and if you can't see those pupils and they're constricted, they're most likely on an opioid.
0: Go ahead and say that again, What like you just said. I want to make sure people get that with the pupils.
1: So when you are under the influence of an opiate, fentanyl, heroin, stuff like that, um, your pupils will constrict to where you can't even see the black part of your eye. And so that's, that's a real telltale sign. Um, people will talk real slow and real slurred, like just kind of like that. And then that's that's a telltale sign that they're on something that's sedating them, heroin, fentanyl. They'll sometimes scratch their face a lot, rub their nose a lot because it makes you itch. Um, Some of the other things is just um, if you see them wearing long sleeve shirts in the summertime, and I have to back up on that because our kids do that a lot. Our kids are wearing hooded sweatshirts in the summertime. And I'm like, why? So, you know. It, that's not always the case, but sure, if can you be. yes, if you see somebody that looks, you know, like they're lacking in their hygiene and they just don't look well, may um, have sores all over their face and they have a long sleeve hoodie on, they're probably trying to. Why cover, would they have
0: long sleeves on?
1: To cover the track marks and the scars from putting the needle in Tr- their arm. Track marks. Yeah. that's
0: from putting the needle in.
1: Yeah. it's that
0: constant incision mm-hmm. that can become infected or yep. any number of yep. things. Yeah, for sure. Okay, okay. Uh, What's one of the best ways to approach someone when we question, you know, I'm afraid Johnny or Susie, whatever the case may be, is in some things they shouldn't be in. How should I approach them?
1: Well, definitely not in an accusatory manner. Um, If you see something that's off, then chances are there's, you know, if, it's somebody like your kids or, you know, a loved one, you're going to notice something's different and it's okay to have that open conversation with them politely and calmly and nicely and say, you know, I've noticed some things, you know, are you doing okay? Is there anything you would like to talk about, you know, without screaming and hollering and pointing the finger and accusing because that, that doesn't work.
0: There's a right way to discuss anything mm-hmm. and if they are into it, they're going to become confrontational. Mm -hmm. They're going to go into denial and you're not going to get anywhere with the wrong approach in the beginning.
1: Right. Right. And if, for me, if I come with that attitude to my kids, then they're never going to come to me when they have a problem. So I try to leave that door of communication open without fear being there. Yeah. You might get, you know, a consequence or whatever, but come to me, you know, and talk to me and let me know. And, you know, I don't want them to be afraid to call me. I want the first person for them to think of that they want to call if something happens is mom.
0: There's nothing easy about Mm-mm. it, is there, from no. any side, their right. side or the parent yeah. loved one's side. Yep. Should it be a spouse or someone like that even. Let's go back. We told the folks we'd, go, we'd get into this. Let's talk a little bit about naloxone, about narcan Mm -hmm. Uh, narcan's more the generic term Mm -hmm. for naloxone tell us about narcan some of the myths you're aware of how it should be used how to how to acquire it Mm -hmm. Uh, let's talk narcan
1: so narcan you know one of the myths that just pops up in my head right now is that you know a lot of a lot of controversy of you know it's free you know people don't have to pay for that why do they you know why do we have to pay for insulin it's not free you know somebody is donating money to pay for those Narcan
0: so it's getting paid for it's, somewhere yes. just maybe not yes. for me yes. as a user of the Narcan yes. we know. can we
1: can per, we can um, get access to it for free but somebody is paying for that Narcan absolutely. Um, you know, Narcan is, a na- we, we have it in three different um, uh, ways to give it. There's a nasal Narcan that comes in a four milligram nasal. It's almost like a like if you had a cold, a little plunger that would go in your nose and you just kind of push it up and it's a mist. Um, then we also have like, uh, you can do it intermuscular, but we usually stick with the, the four milligram um, nasal Narcan because it's easier and people aren't as scared of it. Um, And if you see somebody that's overdosing, you know, you can give them that Narcan regardless of what's really going on. They might be overdosing. They might be having a heart attack. We don't know. But you want to give them that Narcan regardless because... You don't have time to decipher, you know, what's going on with that person. Well,
0: what's going to happen if you give Narcan to somebody and it happens to be their heart or it's something totally other than drugs, opiates, or anything else? What's it going to do to
1: them? Absolutely nothing.
0: So the use of Narcan carries no I'm going to use the word validity to mm-hmm. someone who's not on drugs. Yeah. What if it's a child? What if it's four year old yep. who gets a hold of it?
1: Mm-hmm. Any anybody anybody can have it. I told I tell my daughter. You know, if you my daughter knows how to administer Narcan, like she knows every step doesn't doesn't miss one. I've told her if you ever find me unresponsive or unconscious, get Narcan and give me Narcan.
0: Well, tell the folks what the steps are. I know earlier right. you said you're. You're certified. I mm-hmm. think was the word for yeah. Narcan training. Mm-hmm. Give them a little training right now.
1: So Narcan, what it's used for, when somebody takes an opioid, um, such as heroin or fentanyl, and it's it's too much for them. It you know the opioid receptors, there the drug covers those, and so it's too much, and we have to knock that that opioid off the receptor.
0: So the receptors located in the brain. Yes. Uh, and then that.
1: And then the Narcan knocks that off of there so they can, you know, because Narcan, or I'm sorry, um, fentanyl slows your, your breathing and your central nervous system and all of that. When you give them Narcan, all of that stuff comes back. You know, you're able to breathe, you know, things are, you know, speeding up again. So it
0: clears the brain. Yes,
1: it clears the 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 substance off of the the opioid receptor. Okay. Okay. But it's only for a short period of time. Narcan lasts for about an hour. So it's important that you call 911 first and foremost before you do anything. That way you have, uh, you know, medical coming to, you know, if they need another dose. And there's several people that I know of. That's had to take 10 and 15, nar- you know, nasal Narcans to just come back to, you know, to breathing.
0: Well, plus the idea of calling 911 immediately, they mm-hmm. can even guide you through the steps yeah. as you're trying to administer the Narcan. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so you, if you have 911 coming and you only have one Narcan on you, great. Give them that Narcan and, you know, 911 will be on their way and then you you start, there's actually directions inside the package that kind of helps you step through it. But a lot of the times in a situation like that, you don't have time to sit there and read directions exactly. like you're putting something together. Um, there's a lot of anxiety and, and nervousness. You
0: can almost tell by looking at the, mm-hmm. at the nasal spray, how to operate. Yes, yes,
1: absolutely. It's
0: not going to go wrong. No, no. So, so go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's a right position for the body to Mm -hmm. help you accomplish the maximum.
1: Yes. So if you find someone, um, you lay them flat on their back, you know, you ask them, you know, hey, are you okay? If they don't respond, then you you go for everything we just said. You will um, open the package. You'll insert the nozzle into the nose all the way up until your fingers touch the bottom of their nose. And then you will push the, some of them have a red plunger and some of them have just white. Um, but you'll push that plunger all the way up until it stops, um, and then you wait two to three minutes. But in this time, you will roll the individual in the recovery position, so that is on their side with their knee lifted up. That way, they don't if they ask or if they vomit, they don't aspirate and they don't choke on that.
0: So, like sleeping on your side with your knee lifted.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Okay. And then,
1: if nothing, if they are not breathing and and um, in like two to three minutes, then you roll them back on their back, and you give them a repeat dose, and the other side and the other nostril. The other
0: nostril. Yes, that was going to be my yep. next question. Mm-hmm. Do you continue with the same one or yeah. yep. change back and forth? Beca-
1: and because of the the Narcan only lasts in an hour with fentanyl, that stuff is so you know, it it's so strong and so potent that. A lot of the times, like in our health care, like the emergency rooms or whatever, they will get released back to the streets, and they think that they're re like going out and using again and overdosing. When they're actually not, they're just re overdosing because the first Narcan had the worn original off. Original
0: overdoses, yes. re- is returning. Yes, so, to so speak. it's so imp-
1: it's important to have multiple Narcans on you, but to, you know, have nine one one. How do you absolutely.
0: acquire? Narcan. Um, What's some of the ways you can make that happen?
1: So, um, in Indiana, every state's different. So in Indiana, you can um, you can get online. You can go to overdoselifeline.org. That's where I get my Narcan sent to me. And um, if you go on that website, you can look up and search like where are Narcan boxes, where are vending machines. Those are. It's a vending machine that has. Like you would have chips in it, but it doesn't. It has Narcan in it. You just push the the button, the number, whatever it is, and you get a free Narcan. I know that there's one in uh, Ball Memorial Hospital in the emergency room when you walk in, or like right there at the emergency room. There's one in our IU Health um, Hospital when you walk in at at, um, Jay County. There's some in uh, our towns, like in Dunkirk, by the city building. But you can find all of those addresses and locations and a small picture clip of where they're located
0: and these can be freestanding units. They could be yep. attached to a wall. Yep. They can be the vending machine mm-hmm. type, yeah. as you're mentioning. Yeah. And I heard the word in there. You said it's free mm-hmm. to be able to get.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's free. Um, you know, all you have to do is kind of fill out a form. It basically depends on how many that you're getting. Um, their biggest concern, like, um, if you ask for too many, they're afraid that they're going to expire before they're able to be given out,
0: how long are they basically good for? It?
1: Um, I think four years. Okay, if I if I remember right, but don't Kay. don't quote me on that. Sure. But it's it's a good amount of time.
0: Okay, and you can get the same information off yep. the internet in different yep. ways, but Overdose Lifeline is yes. an excellent place to go. Yes, some people are going to have the concern: What if I do something, and I get sued because I did it? Talk to that a moment.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately, we have a lot of individuals, Not, I mean, no, it happens, that are left. Um, I have a great friend that her brother, you know, was, was left behind because out of fear of they were going to get in trouble for the overdose. And they just take off or, or they'll dump the body. And so, you know, actually, overdose, the foundation, the, 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 oh, what's the word? <laughs> uh the creator for Overdose Lifeline um, is Justin Phillips, and she, you know, her son died of an overdose. And so she created um, Aaron's Law and the Good Samaritan Law. So that protects anybody. This, what it says is that you can carry naloxone, Narcan, and give it to anybody and not get in trouble. You can get it with a prescription of opiates. Um, but if you are with somebody or around somebody and they overdose, you're supposed to act in good faith. And you are protected under some, not all, um, criminal and civil charges.
0: And that means you must call nine one one, and you have to stay with them and stay yep. with. Yep.
1: Them. And if you get on Overdose Lifeline and look, you you can actually see, you know, what what it, it breaks it down for the laws, and what, you know what's who's protected, and you know.
0: We've danced around a phrase that carries a lot of stigma today harm reduction. Mm-hmm. That's what naloxone is yep. about. It's a temporary fix to help you get through to another day yeah. to where you have a chance to continue to fight the battle. Tell us about harm reduction as a whole, Monica.
1: So harm reduction, you know, if if we want to kind of put it in light, harm reduction that's not addiction recovery related would be um, sunscreen to protect us from you know, ultraviolet rays for, you know, skin cancer, um, bicycle helmets to protect our, our head if we were to crash, seatbelts in a car, that's all harm reduction. Anything to reduce harm to the body with a behavior that we're doing. So if we switch that to, like, addiction and recovery, harm reduction is uh, Narcan, like we said, that allows someone to continue to to live, to see another day. Um And then we have fentanyl test strips, and I'll explain what fentanyl test strips are. You can also get those on Overdose Lifeline. Those are little strips, almost like strips that you would test your pool chemicals with and and see if everything is the way it's supposed to be. But instead, you test your your dope, your drugs, and to see if there's any um, trace of fentanyl in there. So if they are able to see that, then they can you know, talk to whoever they're with or have somebody watch them while they're shooting up or, you know, kind of prepare that, hey, this this might be...
0: Does does all of this give people more permission to use? Does it take away the danger? What about, yeah, yeah I can I, get the naloxone free. I mm-hmm. can get these strips. I can get this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't have any fear. I can just use as I want yeah. to. Yeah?
1: No, I, you know? I hear that all the time where... You know, it's like we're just might as well just give them the dope and do this and that. If I would have had a lot of the things that are offered today because it's, you know, it's not the elephant in the room anymore. It's it's being talked about. If I would have had what we have today back then, I might not have contracted hepatitis B. You know, we have a needle exchange, you know, programs and stuff like that. I know we don't have them locally where I'm from, but, you know, that does not encourage people to continue to use. It's statistically proven that somebody is more likely and has found recovery and treatment in places like that where they can you know, actually live to continue on and ask for help. It might not be that day that they ask for help. We give them another chance. Yes, we give another chance, yeah.
0: They have to take the chance, but at least we help provide it. Right. Awesome, wow. I love all this information, I'm sure folks would too. Anything else you want to add as we get ready to wrap up here, Monica?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. The one thing that I think about though is if you have a biased or you don't agree with something, um, try to have an open mind because it doesn't change the fact that people are dying, and we need to help them find recovery. And we can't do that if we're we're being judgmental and we're being biased and we think one thing when. It's really not the case.
0: Imagine it's one of yours and somebody's standing yeah. there debating. Exactly. Do the use Naloxone or not? Yeah. Do I or don't yeah. I? We yeah. know what we want them to do. I hope we take the same attitude with others.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, folks, I hope this has been a good thing for you. I know it has for me. And I believe this is another way we can touch change and save lives through faith in your recovery. Hey, final word here. Check out our new book, Recovery Conversations with Randy Davis, available at recoveryconversations.org. It's filled with personal life experiences, the struggles, the problems, the losses, and the victories. We believe it can be that go-to book for you. And I'm just thinking this this episode right here will end up in a future volume. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your time. God bless. Monica, thank you, too. Thank good you to for have having you. me again. Yeah, thank you for sharing so much. Stay in the battle. God bless. Amen.